prayer. One of the things as we're praying tonight, just want to remind you, um, you know, pray for Vanessa. She had her surgery today for cancer and um, just lifting her before the Lord that everything goes smoothly and that her recovery is quick and uh, that she heals uh, perfectly and that she's back doing what she loves to do. Uh, she's been a trooper through this whole thing. Love her, her heart, uh, her spirit. Um, she's just so others focused. Um, it just, you really appreciate that in times like this, cause it's so easy, you know, when you're going through a hard thing is to, you know, make it all about yourself. And she's been here so faithfully week in and week out, just, uh, loving on our kids and our families. And, <clears throat> you know, that's what the Lord has called her to do. It's what she loves to do. And she's looking forward to getting back in the saddle again. So we'll pray for her as we, uh, pray tonight, but let's read this together. We'll pick it up in verse 13. And uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And that's what we, we studied last week as we introduced the, the teaching. Uh, we think of the, the concept of what's called eschatology, the study of end times or last things. And that we're talking about the rapture or the snatching away of the church, uh, being caught up to be with the Lord, which is a separate and distinct uh, event from the second coming. And uh, we talked a little bit about that. We'll do a little bit of review here. But then in chapter five, and it's always interesting, you know, I share this with you all the time that, um, you know, when books were written, they didn't have chapter breaks, but uh, this is one of those where a chapter break is actually okay here because the apostle Paul is now going to be uh, sharing a whole brand new thought. So if you were gonna create a chapter break, this would be a place where it would be appropriate to do so. And he says this, he says, now, after the fact of comfort each other um, with regard to the rapture of the church, he says, concerning how when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. He says, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, says then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and the night, so be on your guard not asleep like others, stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ and not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, we do desire to encourage and, and comfort each other with it. Uh, Lord, thank you. It, it's not a, an escapism uh, theology. It, it's what you promise. It's, it's a a bridegroom loving his bride and making a promise that you will rescue her. And uh, Lord, we look forward to that day and we thank you, uh, Lord, for the hope that we have in you. Thank you that uh, whether we live or die before that day, uh, to just be able to rest assured and to comfort one another that, uh, Lord, the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who remain will be caught up 
with them uh, to be with you in the air and as your word declares forever never to be separated from you again. And so that's the hope that we have, uh, Lord. That's the comfort that, uh, Lord, we're able to not only glean from the study of your word, but it's the comfort we're able to provide one another and to remind each other uh, in these dark days in which we live that, uh, Lord Jesus, you are coming soon. And uh, when you come, you'll come quickly. And so, Lord, we want to just do what your word says, that we want to live soberly and we want to live expectantly that we're looking for your return. And uh, Lord, help us to do that even tonight. And we do want to pray for Vanessa and just thank you for her. Pray that God, you would just bring healing uh, completely to her, that she would be completely cancer free and her recovery would be even faster than what the doctors uh, would even say. Uh, it's been that way all along. And uh, Lord, we believe it's because of prayer. We believe it's because of your grace and the mercy that you've shown her. And just thank you for the confidence that she has in you. And uh, Lord, again, we just pray that you would just bring her through um, and bring her uh, back where she's able to uh, serve and minister uh, the way that she hopes. And, and may, it, may it be uh, quicker, like I said, Lord, than, than later. And so we just thank you that we can lift her to you. Thank you that we can pray for her. Help us to remember her. Help us to reach out to her, uh, Lord, to just comfort her. Thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ. I thank you for those that I know in my own afflictions, uh, when you have brothers and sisters who, who walk in love and uh, to reach out and, and provide comfort, uh, Lord, it's amazing. Uh, Lord, just as your word says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And uh, and as apples of gold amongst setting of silver, uh, Lord, we have an opportunity to, to bring life and to speak life and to speak comfort. That's what we see tonight as we study your word. And so, Lord, help us to, to be that kind of people. It's what makes us different from the world. We're not always complaining about everything and everybody. But, uh, Lord, we see the hope that we have in you. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Lord, that, uh, God, you, you've never failed us. You've never let us down. And uh, so, Lord, tonight we just look forward to all that you have for us. I thank you for these that are here. Pray your blessing, Lord, over them. Lord, pray that their hearts would truly be open to receive all that you have for them. And that, Lord, it would truly impact us as we go from this place, that we're not just here uh, going through the motions, but, Lord, we're, we're reading your word and we're looking for application and how we can apply it and that it would uh, help us to live expectantly, uh, Lord, to really truly believe that, God, you could come at any time. And not only for that to set in our own hearts to be ready to meet you, but to be prayerful about those that are in our life that we come in contact that uh, have yet to make a decision for Jesus, how difficult it's going to be, Lord, once the rapture of the church takes place. And so, Lord, we pray that for those in our family, our friends that don't know you, that, God, you would save them and that, Lord, if you would use us, uh, Lord, uh, what a privilege, what an honor it is to be able to be uh, a true light for you, an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And so, Lord, fill us with your love, your grace, a servant's heart to minister to the needs of others and uh, be glorified, Lord. Yeah, that, that's our great prayer and hope tonight in, in each of our lives. Be magnified as we pray in Jesus' name. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen. So when you, you think about, you know, eschatology, like I said, it means last things or end times here. And there's basically, as I was sharing with you last week, there's, there's three positions um, with regard to the rapture of the church. There's the pre-tribulation rapture, and that's what I hold to um, very firmly. Um, and I believe it, you know, in scripture, it's, it's, it's very, very clear, you know, it is to me anyway, as to why we should be, and, and especially I think of as, as a Calvary Chapel, it's what we hold to uh, as an a, a essential doctrine for us, um, you know, in believing in the pre-tribulation rapture. There's those that, and again, what I mean by that is that uh, before the wrath of God is poured out, and we see during the seven-year tribulation period, uh, that, that Jesus will come, as we, we see here in 1 Thessalonians. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I was sharing with you from John chapter 14 last week um, that the Lord will come for his bride and he will take us home to be with him. And then um, after that occurs is when uh, the tribulation period will begin and, and it will truly begin when the Antichrist makes a peace treaty in Israel. And uh, it's a, a very clear timeline. Uh, when we look at you know, the rapture of the church, you know, the scripture is adamantly clear that 
Uh, we don't know the hour at which the Lord will return, but we definitely will know uh, the time of his, his second coming. Uh, you study that in you know, the book of Daniel. I mean, the, the day is marked to the very moment in time, you know, from the time of the abomination of desolation that takes place. And what we mean by that is when the Antichrist, he's going to make a seven-year peace treaty uh, with Israel. And at the halfway point of that, at three and a half years, it says that he will go into the temple and uh, he will demand to be worshipped as God. And when he does that, then that becomes the very marked moment of the, the second half of the three and a half year period of time. And then the Lord will return at that time. And so those, you know, like I said, you look at those numbers and you go, okay, we can know then when the Lord returns at his second coming. But we do not know when he will come for us in the rapture. And so, again, the rapture of the church, some people will say, well, it's all part of the second coming. It isn't. It's, they are separate and distinct events, and, and they get muddied when you try to bring them together like that because, uh, and again, it's when people have either a mid- or a post-trib perspective on it is why it gets so muddied. And, and you know, many of us have, you know, unfortunately uh, sat through some of that teaching and it, we end up walking away more confused than anything else. You know, if you hold to a mid-trib uh, position, and there are many that, that hold to that, is they believe that the Lord is going to allow us to go through uh, three and a half years. We're going to go through a little bit of, of, of uh, tribulation. But at the, the latter three and a half years, when you study the book of Revelation, when basically all hell breaks loose on this earth, the church will be taken out before that, when it speaks about the wrath of God. And uh, so some hold to that position. And then you have uh, those, and, and there's probably fewer in this camp that hold to a post-tribulation rapture. They believe that the church literally will go through the entire tribulation period, but that the Lord will protect uh, the church during the tribulation period. Um, the only problem with that particular perspective is you can't find much in the way of Scripture to support it. Um, it it's supposition at best at that. And so... I think, you know, when you study the Bible and you, you know, again, one of the, the great blessings of, of studying the Bible is, you know, as allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. And then, you know, the Scripture says of itself, you know, when you think about reading a text, if you read a text and it makes common sense, the rule of thumb is seek no other sense. It's accept God's word for what it's saying to you, uh, you know, because you'll have people that it will take the word of God, they'll start to explain something. You, you read a text and you go, well, this is what it sounds like. And they, oh no, 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 it can't mean that. And then all of a sudden you're going, where did you get that from? And there's just all kinds of things that are added to it. I think one of the ways that you can, you can examine that is if you're familiar with either the Jehovah Witness faith at all, you know, the Jehovah Witness, I remember growing up, um, they would come to my house and they would say that they were part of the 144,000 that the book of Revelation speaks of. There's 12,000, it says, from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Well, you'd have to be Jewish in order to be part of the 144,000. And you could ask them, you go, are you Jewish? And they would say, no, I'm not Jewish. You go, do you speak Hebrew? Because that would be a requirement to be Jewish. Do you speak? No, I don't speak Hebrew. How about this? Are you a virgin? Because again, they, they would be, and, the, and so it just, the kind of, it, it falls all apart. And then you look at it and you go, okay, how about the Mormons? And the Mormons, the same thing. They have a piece of Christianity. They have some of Catholicism. They've, they're really have taken the practices of, of masonry, um, all, you know, what is it? 32nd degree masonry, um, the highest level of masonry. And so they've taken all these things and they've blended it in. And then, so you have people that, you know, again, it's not based on the word of God at all. I've had many Mormons come to my house and they'll carry a Bible with them, but they will only quote from the doctrines and covenants from the Book of Mormon. And so it's, it's hard to have, you know, a conversation about faith in Jesus Christ if you're not going to use the Bible in order to do so. But what happens is people have had extra biblical, you know, teaching. And so they bring those things into it. Like I said, whether it's Jehovah Witness, whether it's Mormonism. And so we see this, you know, as scripture says that, you know, God is not the author of confusion. And so you'll have conversations. And if you're not very well versed in your Bible, it's easy to become deceived because again, it can sound logical. It can sound like, oh, okay, that, that makes perfect, you know, sense. And what they're saying, or you look at the person, you know, I remember, um, we had a, a, a nun 
who actually left the Catholic Church uh, because she fell in love. And it was hard to be a nun when you fall in love. So she left the being a nun and she got married and had a family. And uh, she came to Calvary Chapel and, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful sister in the Lord. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it, the things that she would tell us, you know, with regard to like, uh, I asked her, I said, well, how did, how did, uh, you know, Mary worship begin? And she said, oh, it's real simple. She goes, you know, the, the miracle at Cana, when Jesus turned water into wine? And I go, and she goes, that's the verse. And I go, what? And she goes, yeah, remember when, when uh, they said, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, his mom says to do, you know, Jesus did it. So, you know, that Mary worship started right there. And I'm going, you're kidding me. And they go, no, I'm, that's, that's exactly where it came from. And somebody would go, oh, okay, well, I, I, I guess I could see that point. And, and again, not understanding the full counsel of God, it's easy to get then twisted and, and like I said, sidetracked there. And so it's important that, you know, we have a good working knowledge of God's word. Um, and again, and when we do, it's very comforting to us, you know, again, to understand this, you know, that as, as Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica here, I mean, he was only with this church, like I said, for three weeks. And, and so to be able to teach them, you know, some very, very clear, essential truths that they could hold on to, you know, make sure that the, these were things that they could settle in their own heart. Uh, he wanted them to, you know, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant, some of your translations will say. And that word ignorant, as I shared with you, just means uninformed. You know, he doesn't, doesn't desire that the church be ill-informed or uninformed. And he said, so their question, like I, I shared with you last week, was they had uh, family members who had passed away, that had died. And so their belief about, you know, the end times was about the second coming. That's truly what they believed. If you remember the story of Lazarus, remember, you know, uh, uh, Mary and Martha, you know, their, their thought was, you know, well, Jesus, we know that he'll, he'll, he'll be risen in at the second coming. They, they believe that, but they had no concept about the rapture of the church. And Jesus said, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he said, he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And then he used the word instead of death, you know, again, how do we find comfort for ourselves is he used the word sleep. And I love that as a believer, you know, death, dead sounds really terrible, doesn't it? And you go, they're dead. And you go, but hey, if you just said they're sleeping, you know, well, if I tell you dead, that has a finality to it, doesn't it? But if I say sleeping, you go, well, if someone's sleeping, what are you going to do? They're going to wake up, right? And so this, the beautiful thing that he's wanting the church to comprehend here in First Thessalonians is the understanding that Again, what we truly are as believers is we're not dead, we're asleep. And that Jesus is coming to wake us up. If we, in, in our concept, is if we've died, that Jesus will return and he'll wake us up. And then we'll, again, be with him. And then, obviously, we, as we studied the book of 2 Corinthians, remember, you know, Paul would write, he said that the dead in Christ, you know, again, to be absent from the body, he said, is what? To be present with the Lord. And so there's a comfort for the, for the church there as well as to go, you know, it's not that we're dead, that there is, there's a transition that takes place. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you are alive. You, you will go from that moment when you close your eyes, this side of heaven, you will open your eyes in the, in the next instant. And the, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, in the twinkling of an eye, you think about that. And like I said, there's a difference between a twinkling and a wink, as I was sharing with you last week. A twinkling is, is like a nanosecond. You know, it's faster than even a blink. And, and you'll be in the very presence of God. And, and so Paul is reminding the church this. They're just a young church. He's going, but understand this. You know, there's nothing to, you know, in the sense there's a sorrow because that person is no longer with us. But to know that they're with the Lord and the beauty of it is. And again, think about this for a second. What if there was no heaven? I mean, you think about that. What if there really was no heaven? And that when you die, that's it. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? I mean, if you really truly think of that, even if you lived a great life, you go, man, it's just all of a sudden it's over and you would, you would not want to die. You, you would be trying to hold on, you know, to everything that you possibly can. But there's something when you come to that realization that heaven is eternal. 
And that to place your hope and your trust in Jesus means that you'll live forever. And that when you pass from this life, when you close your eyes, you'll open your eyes in the very presence of God. You go, man, that's comforting. Because people die at all different kinds of times in life. I mean, you know, some people live to be, you know, of old age. Uh, sometimes babies are taken in the womb before they're even born. You know, just through miscarriages, people, you know, desiring to have children. And to think that, you know, one day, you know, you'll see that baby again. And, and you know, and people are just like, wow, you know, there's something. And again, that word comfort, that's the thing I want to remind you of tonight. You know, Paul's going, comfort one another with this information, comfort one another with this truth that, you know, to be with the Lord is what life is all about. I mean, we're going to pass away at some point, you know, every single one of us, unless the Lord comes for us in the rapture before we die, we are going to be, you know, uh, meeting him one way or the other. And it's, what is that expression? It's either here, there, or in the air, right? And, and so the rapture of the church is, is I mean, you think about, you know, what comfort, you know, the Lord desires to bring to us in this, in this instruction. And we don't spend too much time really talking about it. And you go, but yet it's so important in the life of the church because it really should be the directive on how we approach life every single day because there's nothing left uh, that Jesus needs to do before he comes for his bride. I was sharing with you last week, you know, from John chapter 14. And that, you know, you think about you know, using the imagery of a Jewish wedding, you know, when, when the dowry has been paid and, and the agreement and, and the, the husband goes and prepares a place, you know, in his father's house. And when it's prepared, he says, you know, he will come and he, at a time, he says, when it, to add to the fanfare, you know, to the excitement of it, usually, you know, at nighttime, he didn't show up, you know, in broad daylight. And uh, there would be, you know, at the, the shofar, the sound of a, a, of a trump, uh, and then it would, it would signify that, you know, the, the wedding was about to take place and the bride was to be ready. We see the parable of the, of the 10 virgins, that they were to be ready as well. And, and when, you know, the, the bridegroom would come, that he would take the bride and they would go and they would go to the father's house. And Jesus, you know, he, he comforted his disciples with that. Uh, he told them, he said, you know, I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to the cross. I'm, I'm going to die. I'm going to I'm going to rise again, and then I'm going to ascend back to heaven. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when that place is prepared, I will come for you, and you'll be with me forever. And, and again, and if you think about even John chapter 14 with regard to pre, mid, or post-trib, um, it's pretty difficult to be, and you have to really study this out, be really difficult to be post-trib and believe uh, in John chapter 14 because Jesus said, when that place is prepared, he said, I will come for you and you will be with me. Okay. And you think about, you know, post-trib, you've got to, if you've got to go through all the suffering and you ultimately have to die, it doesn't fit the scenario of the promise of Jesus taking us away as he declares here in first Thessalonians chapter four, that he's, we're being the word rapture, you know, uh, that we're being caught up or that we're being snatched away. And, and what are we being snatched away from? That's the most important thing as we look at this. We're being snatched away, he says, from the hour of his wrath or the hour of his judgment. And one of the things that, like I said, for me, when I look at um, the, really the concept of, of believing in a pre-tribulation rapture, and it's important you know, that you understand this more than, like I said, a mid mid-trib, you know, going through a little bit of suffering and then, or obviously a seven-year period of suffering, you know, why is a pre-tribulation rapture so important? And it's not just because, you know, somebody goes, well, I just don't want to suffer. It has nothing really in the truest sense to do with that. It has everything to do with what does scripture teach us? And if you study the book of Revelation, you have a, you know, the only letter, think about this, the only letter that Jesus wrote was in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. He wrote a letter to what? Seven churches that were located in Asia Minor. Seven real actual churches. And he critiqued them. And he told them, you know, that there was going to be this uh, opportunity for this church that was faithful to him. You know, the, and what would happen to that church? He said, I will keep you from the hour of trial. I will keep you from the hour of testing that will come upon the whole earth. And you think about it, you go, wow. Um, so here's Jesus 
telling the church, and, and if you study Revelation 2 and 3, you'll, it's really interesting what you'll learn, is that you, you will find that, you know, Revelation 2 and 3 cover uh, seven literal churches that existed in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey um, for us. And, and you think about, it wasn't just that it was seven literal churches. There's many historians, biblical historians, believe that it's really covering also seven epochs of time, seven epochs or portions of, of, of church history. And, and then there's even some that believe that it's also speaking of seven different individuals that make up the church today. And I love studying it from all those perspectives. I think it's really, it's really a great way to study it. But one of the great blessings is that, you know, Jesus said to the church that was faithful to him, he said, I will keep you from this hour. And yet something that's even more important than that if you go to the very beginning in Revelation chapter 2, and then you see it in every one of the, the situations, he said that he, Jesus, it says he walks in the midst of the churches. And so I want you to think about this for a second. You know, Scripture says wherever two or three or what? Where does it say Jesus is? Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, he said where? Where is he? He's gathered in the midst of thee, Right. And so one of the things that you can see, and then if you study Revelation 2 and 3, you will find that wherever Jesus is, the church is. And this is important when you think about a pre-tribulation rapture perspective, because when you study eschatology or the study of end times or last things, when you look at the book of Revelation, you see then John in chapter 4 he is invited by the Lord. It says that he looks up and there's a door into heaven and he hears a voice that says, come hither to come up. And, and you never hear the church again until chapter 19 at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And when the church comes with him or the bride comes with him back to earth at the second coming. Now, it's interesting when you think about the church, because Jesus, what did he tell his disciples? He said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all the things that I've commanded you. And how did he finish that? Matthew 28, 20. He said, and what? And lo, I'm what? I'm with you. Yeah, always. So my point is, Wherever the church is, Jesus is there all the time, okay? And that's, that's important to know. So when you study eschatology, you study end times, you study last things, every time that you see the church, you see Jesus there. And you don't see the church in the book of Revelation. You see the church taking up. And again, and so you look at this period of time, and again, you know, thinking of it in epochs of time, a seven-year period of time, uh, the same you know, imagery that we look at during the course of a week when uh, the, the bridegroom and the bride are celebrating you know, their marriage relationship. First, there's a consummation of that relationship. And then for seven days, you know, and is, that, is that coincidental? You know, the number seven is the number of completion. It's the Lord's number, right? So for seven days, there's this, this celebration of coming in and out. And at the end of the, at the seventh day is when they have the marriage feast or the marriage supper. And so we see the same imagery in the book of Revelation. And so the church comes back with Jesus at the second coming. There then takes place, you know, the, the wrath of God is, is poured out. Um, completely upon his enemies. And uh, again, then there's this wonderful celebration, you know, with the, with the, the bride of Christ, that's the church. Uh, the bride of Christ is never used to refer to the Old Testament saints at all. So again, this is something that's completely unique. And, and we know that the rapture of the church then in our study, the rapture has to do with the church, with the bride of Christ, which is never a reference for, for Israel. And and at the second coming, obviously what we see, God's dealing with, you know, the nation of Israel. It's not about the church. The tribulation period in the truest sense isn't about the church at all. Matter of fact, you know, one of the things that leads to, you know, again, a pre-tribulation rapture, you know, perspective is if you think about, you know, you, you probably heard this expression before, like how are people going to get saved after the rapture, if the rapture takes place in a, in a pre-tribulation rapture and the church is taken up to heaven, right? You have now seven years of tribulation. 
And it says, and people will, they will come to faith in Jesus Christ, but what will happen to them when they do? Yeah, they'll be beheaded, right? So they'll have to die for their faith. So if, if you are a Gentile and you believe in Jesus, what happens to you during the tribulation? What happens? You die, right? So how could you, if you're a believer, Gentile in the tribulation, how could you truly believe in a post-tribulation rapture? Because there wouldn't be any, any believers alive. Does that make sense? Because they will all die for their faith. So again, just in studying the Bible, you eliminate some of these, these positions. And so really the only one that, that remains is a pre-tribulation rapture, which like I said, is a beautiful thing when you think about it in a love relationship. I can only put it in that perspective is that, you know, if I had to, you know, if I love my wife, which I do, and I go, well, Lee, you know, I could, I could save you from the hour of testing that's going to come, you know, if I loved you, or I could leave you there for like three and a half years and let you suffer a little bit, and then I'll come get you, right? I don't think she would be too happy with that, do you? You know, and if I said, oh, I'm going to leave you there for seven years, and at the end of it, I'm coming back for you, she might not come with me, you know. And, and again, and that might oversimplify it, but like I said, um, people can hold different positions in that, but it's important that, you know, you take the opportunity and study that out for yourself. But as a, as a position at, here at Calvary Chapel, we truly hold to a pre-tribulation rapture perspective and not because we just go, that's what we want to believe. We don't, we don't want to suffer. We don't go, no, the, the Bible is explicitly clear. If, if you live your life out right now and you live uh, the Christian faith, are you going to suffer right now? Yes. Yes. I mean, if you work at a church, it's pretty easy but get outside the walls of the church and, and let people know that you're a believer, that you love Jesus. And guess what happens? I mean, you get rejected, you know, you get ostracized, you get marginalized. I mean, it happens all the time. I hear stories from all of you that, you know, uh, work, you know, in a secular place and that you, like I said, if you're outspoken, you know, for your faith at all. And, and what happens is, you know, we end up, you know, compromising, because we're afraid, you know, I don't, I don't want to lose my job. So, you know, I mean, I, I just won't say anything. And, and again, there's implications of, of that as well. Um, so we, we will suffer. But again, we're talking about the wrath of God being poured out upon our lives. And so I shared with you last week, you know, the rapture of the church is when Jesus will come suddenly without notice. And it says, you know, in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, in the air, okay? So that can't be the second coming because at the second coming, Jesus will put his feet there on the Mount of Olives, right? And he will walk down through the Kidron Valley and come up through the Eastern Gate and go into Jerusalem. And he will sit on the throne and he will establish his kingdom, his physical kingdom. You know, we pray now for a spiritual kingdom. See, the Jews wanted the kingdom of God to be established, but they thought the kingdom was a physical kingdom. And Jesus, you know, he made that perfectly clear. He said, if my kingdom was a physical kingdom, he said, my disciples would fight. He said, but my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. He's one day I'm going to establish a physical kingdom and that will be at the second coming when he comes back to earth. But until then, it's a spiritual kingdom. And Paul would write, you know, that the weapons of our warfare you know, they're not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So then in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, what does he tell us to do? Well, to live effectively in this life is what Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 6, right? He said, put on the full armor of God. Put on the helmet of salvation. I mean, where do, where do we get attacked most by the enemy? In our head, right? And to think about that, to put on the helmet of salvation is to know, how am I saved? How did I get saved? I placed my hope and my trust in the perfection of Christ. Amen. You know, Ephesians chapter two says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith and not of works, which any man can boast. It is the gift of God. What does the enemy come to you and tell you every day of your life? You're not doing enough, right? You need to do more. You know, Christian, the Christian life is about do, 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 do. That's not true at all. The Christian life is about what? Done, 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 done. Jesus took care of everything. And what he's calling us to do is believe that and to put our hope and our trust in that. So when you think about, you know, even the rapture, you know, as a, as a teaching, what are you doing? You're not trying to escape. You're going, Lord, rescue me. Like the thief on the cross, right? I mean, he was dying. 
And he, and he cried out to God. He said, remember me, Lord, when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said, what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I mean, to believe that and to hope that, that is what he's talking about, the believer's hope, resting assured in what God promised to do. So we study the Bible to do what? To know what God said. I mean, I think there's thousands of promises, right? In the word of God, thousands of promises that God wants us to lay hold of. And, and yet you, you look here on a Wednesday night, you go, how few people, you know, come out on a Wednesday night, you know, or even come to church, you know, churches we're seeing, you know, again, marked evidence, you know, in, of the last days of the end times that what the love of many will wax cold. They just won't be interested in spiritual things. They're caught up in, you know, the Bible says the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. They're just distracted by all the things of the world. You know, climbing the ladder of success only to get to the end of their life and find out that it was leaning against the wrong building the whole time. And it's so sad, you know. But thank God for his amazing grace, right? And so here's Paul, you know, reminding the church this, you know, and, and helping, you know, the church come to the place where, again, you don't have to be a brain surgeon. He was there only, like I said, for three weeks and spent time with them. And he's going, don't, you know, you don't have nothing to worry about. If, if you have placed your hope and your trust in Jesus, if your loved ones trusted in Jesus, when he comes back at, at the rapture of the church, those of, that died, they will be taken up first. We're, we're going to meet them in the air. They're going to be with us. We're all going to be reunited again. And can you imagine the comfort that would bring to someone who's, I mean, all of us have lost loved ones, right? You lost somebody that you loved. And for some of us, it's really sad tonight as well when you think about that because your loved ones didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're not going to spend eternity with you in heaven. They're going to spend eternity in hell apart from God. The good thing about that is, you know, God will erase that memory from our mind. People go, oh, you know, how can I enjoy heaven? It's because all things will be made new. You won't have any memory of that. But if you had a loved one who did love Jesus, will you remember that? And you go, yes. Because we'll know as we're known. The beauty of that, we'll be together with the Lord, you know, together. The beauty of that, being together. And so that's all the more reason why we should be about the gospel, right? Helping people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, especially those of your own household, which is sometimes the most difficult place, you know, even in Jesus' life, right? You know, he was rejected of his own, his own home. You think of, you know, James, his brother, half-brother, you know, that you look at the book of James and he says, you know, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith, you know, by my works. Man, he became, you know, a believer after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection changes everything. You know, up until the resurrection, anybody could die because everybody does die. But to think that here's Jesus, you know, risen from the dead, that changed everything. You know, we see that, we say that about Easter, right? Easter changes everything. And, and so here, you know, as the Apostle Paul you know, is reminding us, you know, that, hey, there, that's the comfort that we keep bringing each other back to, reminding one another that this isn't it. And all the things that, you know, you might have lost. I mean, think about it, you know, and I share this often, you know, have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Can you take anything with you? No. And so we, we get all bummed out about stuff, you know, that, that we lose or, you know, but scripture says to store up our treasures in heaven, right? Where neither moth nor rust can destroy and thieves can't even break in and steal. And, and to make that our investment, because that will be with you. You know, you, you can't take it with you, but in one sense, you can send it on ahead. The things that you invest in the kingdom of God. I love it. It was Jim Elliott, you know, said, he said, he's no fool who gives away that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And so Paul is just reminding the church of this as he go, man, it, it's, it's, it's such a, a, a critical doctrine, you know, that we want to hold on to. Now, is it essential for salvation? No, but it's essential if you want to experience joy in this life to the fullest. You know, Jesus said, I have come. They said the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, right? He just wants to mess your life up. He wants to make you think that, you know, when Jesus comes, he's not taking you. And if you're thinking that tonight, maybe, you know, as Kat was sharing, you know, in worship, it's time to do some reflection and go, 
Why wouldn't I? Sometimes that's the Holy Spirit himself going, you know what? You're not ready and you're not looking. You're not on the alert. See, there, there's two things. He said, you know, be awake, right? Be sober. You know, you think of what you know, scripture says, men love the darkness rather than the light says because their deeds were evil, right? And you think about, it, we call it a nightclub, right? What is a nightclub? Where people go in the night to, it's drunkenness and revelry, all the things, you know, and you go, but it's in the night. Nobody goes there, you know, at 12 o'clock. And if they do, what is the building like? Yeah, there's no windows. It's just completely dark and they make it look like night. But see, we're called to be children of light, right? To walk in the light as he himself is in the light. We got nothing to hide. And you go, why? And it's not because we're perfect. It's because he's perfect, amen? That we confess our, our faults one to another, that we confess our sin to God because he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we know that we're saved by grace through faith, trusting in what Jesus has done for us, not in what we could do for ourselves. And he says, and if that's where you placed your hope, you know, when I come, you know, I'm taking you home with me. And then, then some people go, you know, it's funny because you know, I've done a lot of funerals and a lot of weddings. And I'm always interested when I do a funeral, I listen to like the people, because usually what I do is I don't go in with any preconceived thought of what I'm going to do. Um, I just want to pick up what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do. And so I listen to what people share. And then I just try to pull all those things, you know, together. And, and sometimes, you know, they'll go, well, you know, Bob's at that fishing hole up in the sky. You know, and I didn't know that, you know, heaven was a bunch of lakes or ocean and they're going deep sea fishing, you know, and stuff. Or, you know, uh, Kyle's at that big poker game up in heaven, you know, and I didn't know that there was a poker game there. But they always associate heaven with just an extension of their pleasures here on earth, right? And then if you go, well, heaven's about the worship of God. And they go, so... Are you saying that like all we're going to do is like sing songs to Jesus? And you go, no, but that's some of what we're going to do there. I don't know if I'd really want to do that. And you go, well, if you didn't enjoy it now, why would you enjoy it then, right? I mean, you think about, you know, church life, I mean, it is about what? You know, I was talking with Kimberly about this women's Bible study started this week in the book of Acts. And she said, you know, hey, I was just sharing with the women that, you know, when you're when you are participating in doctrine and the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer, that you're actually involved in evangelism. Because as the book of Acts says, as you commit your life to those things, it says the Lord adds to the church daily those that are being saved. And it really is true. You know, Jason and I were at lunch on Tuesday and it was really funny as we were leaving, there was a, a couple that was sitting behind us. And as we started to leave, they go, uh, hey, um, uh, we just want to say thank you for um, your conversation. And I was like, what? They go, well, we were kind of like uh, listening in and, uh, you know, we, we, we love Jesus and and you guys, I mean, the things that you were talking about, they go, sorry, we're kind of, you know, listen, but I, but I was cracking up though, because they were just like, we were so encouraged by that. And my husband, you know, and I was, you know, thinking, wow, this is kind of, you know, it's kind of funny in one respect. And then you go, man, Jason, I'm sure glad we didn't talk about, you know, other stuff, you know, I mean, um, or, you know, cloud it by talking about that and, you know, where they'd go, that's really kind of confusing, but there is something about as we come together, right? And we can encourage one another. And that's really, you know, what Paul was, was talking about with regard to the rapture. Don't get all caught up. And, you know, like I said, you can, you can, okay, well, eschatology, the study of end times and last things. And, you know, I mean, people, they want to, they want to debate it and they want to fight over it. And, and I shared with you, you know, scripture's adamantly clear. You know, when you go to a town, Jesus said, you knock on a door and your desire is to share what? The truth of who Jesus is. And what is the ultimate? is that Jesus came to save sinners. Amen? How many sinners do we have in here tonight, by the way? You know, yeah. And you go, he came to save us, right? And you go, there's something exciting about that because I don't deserve heaven. There's nothing in my person that deserves heaven. I saw a little, it was a cute meme, meme yesterday that said uh, they were standing at the pearly gates, you know, or there was a little podium like this and the angel of heaven, he's going, um, so I see here, you know, you should be in hell, but I see that you live in California. And so we'll just take that as time served, you know, <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, it's not really good theology, but it's funny, you know, uh, in that. And so it's just, it, it's important that, 
we don't lose sight of this is that, you know, what is the, and we call it evangelism, right? We call it, and what are we evangelizing? The good news of the gospel. What is, what is the good news? What is the good news of Jesus Christ? First Corinthians 15 puts it really, really simply for us. Paul said, I'm going to tell you what I was told that Jesus Christ lived and that he died. And on the third day, he did what? rose again. And why did he do that? So that our sins could be forgiven, right? That we could become children of God. And you go, well, I don't, do I need to know more than that? You go, Paul said, that's pretty much what he said, you know? And you go, if it was good enough for the apostle Paul, it should be good enough for us. But we go, well, what if they, what if they ask me questions I don't know the answer to? Like, what do you do now when people ask you questions that you don't know the answer to? What do you do? You lie, right? You just make something up. No, you, if, they, if, if, if you don't know, you just go, hey, you know, I, I don't know. Why is it that we're so worried about with the gospel? Like we think we have to know everything, right? No, what do I know? What, my favorite story of that of all time in scripture is the guy who's born, born blind, right? And, and what does Jesus do? I mean, it is, it's a, I love it from a guy's perspective because here's what Jesus does. Jesus, he, this guy's blind from birth. He doesn't have, he doesn't have eyeballs. Okay. He's got sockets, right? Jesus sees the guy. And so what does he do? It says, Jesus bends down to the ground and he takes some dirt in his hand and he spits on it. I mean, picture this. And he starts going like this, rolls it into a ball, right? And then he goes, and then he goes, take some more mud. Well, you think about what, how did God create man to begin with? What did he do? It says he took what? The dirt, right? The dust of the ground. And it says, and he fashioned it into man. So what is Jesus demonstrating very clearly? People, people go, Jesus never said he was God. No, he just showed that he was, right? Here he is. He, he's spitting in mud. He's making mud balls. And he puts them in the guy's eye sockets. And then he goes, hey, uh, go, wash your, go wash in the pool of Shiloh. Go, go wash your face. And then go to the priest and, and make a sacrifice. And then, so then they, they want to ask him, you know, the, the religious leaders. They said, you know, so who is it? You know, who healed you? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I was blind, you guys. <laughs> I mean, I heard a voice. Uh, they said it was Jesus. But all I can tell you is what? Once I was blind and now what? I see. And you go, wow. And that's, that's how it is for us. That's, that's the beauty of God's grace. We were blind and he causes us to see. And, and so Paul, again, all he's driving here, I don't want to push it any further than what Paul was saying. Because like I said, it's, it's, it's what he was doing for this church in Thessalonica. He wanted them to know the simplicity that, yes, there is a second coming. And when Jesus comes at the second coming, he's going to, again... <laughs> The rapture of the church should cause you and I to be encouraged, right? Like I shared, I opened up last week. I said, what problem do you have in your life that won't be solved by the rapture? Think about it. You got rent due, got a house payment, got a car payment, got insurance, got debt. You know, you're having an argument with somebody, you know, life is strained. The rapture does what? Solves every problem, Right? What does the second coming do? That's where God comes to what? To judge. He's going to judge people at the second coming. He's going to judge his enemies. You know, so we, as the bride of Christ, are coming with him to rule and to reign with him in righteousness. And, and to think about it, you go, so the rapture of the church should bring us comfort tonight. The judgment of God, the wrath of God, which he's going to pour out upon those who what? Who rejected his son. Who did not receive Christ as, as Lord and Savior. They have a day in court, you could say. Well, they will stand before God because he's righteous and he's holy and he's just. He's going to give them their, their 15 minutes, you know, so to speak. And they can speak whatever they want. You ever met somebody that says, you know, one day I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. Okay. I want to watch that one, you know. I mean, I love the worship song, you know, what are we going to do when we see Jesus? Am I going to stand? Am I going to fall? Am I going to speak? Or am I going to say nothing at all? What do you think you're going to do? You're going to go to, ah! It's just going to be so overwhelming, but with joy. 
And that's what Paul was reminding the church in Thessalonica. They were hurting. One of the, you know, I, I shared with you, you know, uh, Brenda Gray, our CPA, you know, her daughter, Danielle, only child, 30 years old, went home to be with the Lord, had a kidney transplant in 2009, got cancer that's associated with, you know, transplants, you know, they suppress your immune system. So there's a real common cancer that happens and, you're, and uh, she got it. 2019, 18, and she spent more time in the hospital in the end of her life than she did out. Hurting, suffering. Mom, you know, completely devoted to her daughter, away from work, you know, life just is on hold. I mean, you imagine if there's no, there's no heaven. You imagine just how angry and how frustrated you would become. It's like, what is this all about? And so that's what Paul is saying. He goes, but we're not, we're not like people who have no hope. When you don't have Jesus, you don't have hope. When you have Jesus, you have hope. So to be able to talk with Brenda and say, hey, Brenda, I know you're hurting, but I need to remind you of this and remind you of what Paul reminded the church. Remember, there's a day coming at the sound of the trumpet. She's going to rise again. And you're going to see her again. And you're going to hear her voice again. And you're going to be able to hold her again. And never will you be separated from her again. Is she hurting right now? Yeah. But in the back of her mind, she knows that to be true. And that's what pulls her forward. And Paul was reminding the church, he's going, we have that hope. You have that hope tonight. If, and it's a big if, if you're in Christ Jesus. And it's not just saying, well, I prayed a prayer one time. He's like, no, he's telling us in chapter, you know, five is to do what? Is not just to comfort one another. You know, that's one thing that we do. He said, but be on the alert, right? To live your life on the alert. So in, in a sense, going forward tonight, what we need to do is ask God to give me a greater sense that he could come at any moment in time. Because knowing that, does what? It creates urgency within my life. And I can tell you, there's many times when I lose sight of the, of the concept of the rapture of the church and forget, you know, that Jesus could come back at any moment in time. Cause it's easy, you know, Kat mentioned something, you know, putting her on the spot you go, but to say like Moses, you go, well, I can put this off. And you go, that's a mindset that we need to pray, you know, that God would eliminate in our life because we don't have time. That, that's, that is the very thing that we don't have. To think, you know, that, you know, here's Danielle, 30 years old. She's, she's in the presence of Jesus. Is that I don't, I don't have that luxury. I'm not God. You know, we don't even know the, the hour at which the Son of Man is going to return, right? You don't know the hour at which you're going to meet him. The key is to be ready, right? Is to be ready at all times. And to have that urgency. And to have that sobriety that you're going, man, Jesus, you could come back. So who in my life doesn't know you? Because of all the things that matter, there's only three things that are eternal. I tell you this all the time. God, the word of God, and the souls of men. Those are the only things that are eternal. Everything else, even the heavens and the earth are going to burn in a fervent fire. And God is going to make what? All things new. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so that you, and this is what Paul was instructing the church there. And then in chapter five, he's going, then live this way, live soberly, live with a sense of urgency every day of your life, because Jesus could come back tonight. He could come back in this very moment. And that shouldn't scare us. That should actually encourage us because I'm going, yeah, I got rent due. <laughs> I got a car payment. I got bills to pay. And you know, that would solve all those problems. Right. And you go, and I'd be with the Lord forever. No more pain, no more sorrow. You know, I just started riding my bike again. And after the doctor released me, so, um, I have a route that I ride. It's, it goes from my house out to Enos Lane and back. It's a little over 24 miles. And there's a price that you pay if you ride a bicycle. And if you've ever ridden one, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's called saddle soreness. And right now uh, I am in a lot of pain. Okay. <laughs> I just want you to know that. And you have, to, you have to go through it for like about three weeks. It takes about three weeks and I'm only on week one. So just pray for me. That's all I can ask you to do because it's like, I, I, I walk like this. People, you okay? No, 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 
No, it, 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 it hurts, you know. And so I think about this. <laughs> I was thinking about this today, knowing I was teaching tonight. You go, but if Jesus came back tonight, guess what? No more saddle soreness. And I'm just laughing, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about that. You go, simple little things, you know. But for some, it's big things. You know, it could be just, I mean, there's hellish situations of suffering and pain that people are dealing with. Injustice, you know, in relationships and hardship and just very, very dark, dark things. We have an adversary, the devil, the Bible says it goes about like a roaring lion, right? And so it's all the more to be mindful of those things. And so when people are struggling or going through, you know, things, you go, hey, let's, let's pray. And you go, I don't know when the last time you prayed this, but I would encourage you to begin to incorporate it is don't be afraid to go, hey, Maranatha, Maranatha, what? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because isn't that really what it's all about? And that you and I would get to the place because people go, oh, I don't know if I'm really ready to go yet. And Paul said this himself. So I don't want to, it's not a death wish, right? Paul said, in, in my own spirit, I, I have a longing to go be with Jesus. He said, but for your sake, it's better that I remain. And so he understood that God had him here, right? And God will determine, you know, the number of our days. But that God would put within us a longing for heaven. And like I said, not a death wish, but a desire, just like when you think about that, we are the bride of Christ. And nobody loves you like Jesus loves you. Nobody thinks that your life is worth more than all the silver and the gold you know, in this world. Because if that could have redeemed you, Jesus would have done it. But he said, you were, you were purchased with the precious blood of the lamb. You are a priceless treasure to God. And when you start to see yourself through the lens of his eyes and through his word, what a difference the way that we go through our life. This world has nothing for me. Paul said, you know, I close with this. He said, you know, he said, I don't count my life dear to me. He said, I count all things at loss except for the knowledge of knowing Jesus. This life really, when you fall in love with Jesus to the fullest extent of your being and you're aware of it, it's not holier than thou, it's not even holier than you used to be. It's just this realization that you were created by God, as Paul said in Colossians 1. Everything that was created was created by him and for him. You were created for God. And he loves you. And he wants you to grow in the knowledge of that love. And when you understand it, like I said, and it becomes the dominant, you know, master passion of your life, then man, you can still enjoy things on this, this earth and you will because you'll just thank God for it all the time. And when you go through hardships, you know, Cat was talking about patience. You know, nobody likes the process of patience. He said, but let patience have its perfect work in you, that it produces character, that there's something that God's doing in all of our lives. And what's he doing? He's preparing us for him. And to be able to then remind each other, hey, it's all about Jesus. You know, God loves hymns, right? Because the whole Bible's full of hymns. It's all about him. Him, 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 him. Uh, it's all about Jesus. That's what it's all about. And so, you know, read through this. You know, study it for yourself. You know, settle the issue in your own heart. You know, do you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Like I said, it has nothing to do with your ultimate salvation, but it definitely will have to do with the quality of your relationship. And, you know, because every other position, you know, think of it this way. I'm looking for Jesus, right? I'm looking up. You know, the, the clouds would be rent and... And if I don't have that perspective, then the only other perspective is I got to be looking for the Antichrist. I don't want to spend my day looking for him, okay? Not, not my cup of tea, you know? I'd rather be looking for Jesus, looking up to Jesus, you know? And, and I, I pray that that's what you're doing too. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for your love, for your grace in our life. Thank you for this work of Paul would pin the, the words there into this little church in Thessalonica and just remind them in the darkest days, and those are the darkest days when we love someone and we lose them, to remind them that this isn't it, that you are the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in you, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And as Jesus, you said, and, and, and he who believes in you will never die. Because all we do is we fall asleep. And people who fall asleep wake up. And to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Lord, what a, 
What a great comfort that is to us tonight. And not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are. And so, Lord, we just love you. Lord, we confess to you our need for you, our desire for you. And, Lord, we do. We pray for those people in our life that don't know you. Lord, may, may the understanding of the rapture motivate us, uh, create a, a greater urgency in our life to, to share with people the truth of your word. It's not our job to save people. It's just our job to tell them about the love of Jesus, that they, they can have their sins forgiven, just like we've had our sins forgiven. And if that's not an interest to them, Lord, then so be it. But God, give us a love and a care that, Lord, we would want so much for people to know that you haven't appointed us to wrath, but unto salvation. Thank you for that knowledge, for that truth. Thank you for the reminder tonight. We bless you as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.